The following message was brought to you by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. This message was recorded during our regular Sunday morning worship service. And while Pastor Matt is still on sabbatical, our children's pastor, Nathan Ream, will be sharing with us from the Word of God this morning. Nathan is looking at a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, talking about the ministry of reconciliation. So turn there now, and let's join Nathan in his study. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for your word, for uh, all that you've done for us, Lord, for sending your Son to be slain for us, Lord, to, to make us right with you, Lord, through that shed blood. And again, we thank you, Lord, for your word that makes it so clear of what we need to be doing while we're here waiting for your return. Again, we thank you, Lord, for being so patient with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you're not there already. The name of that video was called uh, The Sacrifice of One, if you want to find it on YouTube. Uh, Igniter Media, they make a lot of really cool videos. So, Paul here is writing to the Corinthian church. Can you guys see Corinth? Can you guys see it up there? Yeah, it's right there. Um, uh, Corinth was a major trade city in southern Greece. Uh, Paul started the church in Corinth on his second missionary journey, and you can read all about that in Acts chapter 18. Um, it was usual, Paul's usual custom. He would go to a new town, go to the synagogue, start preaching the gospel, right? He'd tell people that Jesus is the Messiah, and the Jews were looking for the Messiah, so he wanted to tell them who the Messiah was. So he'd go in there and start talking to them, and it wouldn't be long before they'd get all mad at him, throw him out, right? But there'd always be a few that would believe that Jesus was the Messiah, and they would start a church. So he starts the church here. In uh, Corinth, uh, this is where he meets Priscilla and Aquila, and also uh, Silas and Timothy come and join him later too. He spends about 18 months there, and then it's not long before he writes him a letter, First Corinthians, um, addressing all a bunch of issues with cliques, and uh, you know how they're saying, "I'm of Paul, I'm of a Paulos, right? Oh yeah, I follow Jesus, right?" And they start their little things and and all that stuff, and then also um, other such sins such as uh, sexual immorality idolatry, worldliness were also present there. The Corinthians had a hard time breaking away from the culture around them in the same way that the church today has a hard time breaking from the culture around us, right? We're still wrapped up in all these things. We can still learn from First and Second Corinthians even today. Um, later on, Paul is in Ephesus and he gets, some, uh, gets word that some false apostles are in Corinth questioning his apostleship and uh, teaching false doctrine. Paul ends up leaving Ephesus to go back to Corinth to set things right. But then he's openly insulted, probably by one of these false prophets. The church there that he started is not backing up. It breaks his heart. And we read about it here in uh, 2 Corinthians 2.4. For I write to you, out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. It was breaking Paul's heart for them to do that. Paul meets up with Titus later to see uh, how they responded to his rebuke in that letter. And was overjoyed to hear that the news that most of the Corinthian church had repented. That's when he wrote this letter that we call Second Corinthians. In the text we're going to look at today, Paul is reminding the church in Corinth and us today to keep the main thing, the main thing. So starting in verse 17. This is the ESV version. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us 
the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I'm going to read it again in the Amplified Version. The Amplified Version takes the Greek words and gives the definitions and just puts the definitions right into the text, so it's a little longer, but I think it answers a a lot of stuff. Therefore, if any person is engrafted in Christ, the Messiah, he is a new creation, a new creature altogether. The old, previous moral and spiritual condition has passed away. Behold, a fresh and new has come. But all these but all things are from God, who through Jesus Christ reconciled us to Himself, um, received us into favor, brought us into harmony with Himself, and gave to us the ministry of reconciliation, that by the word and deed we might aim to bring others to harmony with Him. It was God, personally present in Christ, reconciling and restoring the, word, the world to favor with Himself, not counting up and holding against men their trespasses but canceling them and committing to us the the message of reconciliation, of the restoration to favor. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God making his appeal, as it were, through us. We, as Christ's personal representatives, beg you for his sake to lay hold of the divine favor now offered you and be reconciled to God. For our sake he made Christ virtually to be sin who knew no sin, so that in and through him we might become endued with viewed as being in, and examples of the righteousness of God. What we ought to be, approved and acceptable, and in right relationship with Him by His goodness. It goes in a lot more depth there in the Amplified Version. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new has come. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the more and more I study those two words, the more and more... I realize that sums up pretty much the Christian life. If you are in Christ, you have everything, right? That should be our new bumper stickers. It just says, in Christ, done, right? We'll have Tom come up and close now. So, I mean, if you're in Christ, it's over, right? Everything. You get everything. Um, If we're in Christ, we get God's grace and His mercy, right? We get God's riches at Christ's expense. Um, The Holy Spirit. We get the Holy Spirit as our helper and our down payment, right? We are born again, we have all of our sins forgiven, past, present, and future. We have eternal life with Him. If you are in Christ, you win. In this life and life to come, right? No matter what happens to us here on this earth, if we're in Christ, we win, right? Turn to your neighbor and say, I win. No matter what, I win, right? I mean, we should take great comfort in that, right? I know Paul did through all his afflictions, rich, poor, beaten, not beaten, hungry. He knows that he was in Christ. He wins. Um, Galatians 2.20 It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's not about us. It's about Jesus, right? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now with the power of the Holy Spirit... We can say no to sin. We are no longer slaves to sin, right? We're new creatures, set apart for His purposes now, right? It's no longer us who lives, but Christ who lives in us. 
I'm going to read Colossians 3, 1 through 10 real quick. Um, this, I love this passage. It sums up. If you guys just need to grab your Bibles and read something, Colossians chapter 3 is awesome. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you once, in these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now, you must put away all anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. All throughout the Bible we find this put off, put on, put off, put on, put off, put on. There's lists everywhere. I made a huge list. This is only 32. We're going to go through all of these slowly. Just kidding. <laughs> I have a list in my office. It has about 80 of them. I just cut and pasted a little section of it here. If anybody wants a copy of this, send me an email. I'll send it to you. And uh, super good stuff that reminds us, put this off, put that on. And it gives you the opposites of everything. It's a great reminder. I've given this to a lot of parents and a lot of the kids. And it's, I've seen a lot of great fruit from it. Romans chapter 6, 6 and 7. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. And verse 13. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness. Good, some people know that verse. To God. Uh, Pastor Lou, that was his memory verse to pick and it's been a great one for me. We present ourselves as instruments of righteousness, right? It's no longer me who lives, but Christ who lives in me. Verse 18, all this is from God who through Christ, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Um, God is the one who makes salvation possible, right? All these things are from God. And, and you look at the previous verses there. Salvation is only possible because of what God has done. We cannot do it. Who, through Christ, reconciled us to himself. Reconciled. It's been my word for a couple months now. Who knows what reconciled means? To make peace? What else? To make right? To come back together? Great. Good definitions. Another definition I found that I really like is to fix a broken relationship. Our relationship with God is broken, right? And it's only He can fix it. So, ever since the beginning of uh, time, when God created the heavens and the earth, He knew that man was going to blow it, right? He knew that Adam and Eve were going to blow it in the garden. There was no surprise to Him when they were deceived and they sinned, right? He was like, oh man! What am I going to do now? Plan B. Let's think of something, right? No, he knew. And starting from that very first sin, there had to be blood shed to cover it. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins, right? The only problem with the blood of animals and the whole sacrificial system they had in the Old Testament was that it was just temporary, right? They were looking forward to the Messiah who would give his life a ransom and a substitute for all. 1 Peter 3.18 for Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Remember that story when Abraham and Isaac were going up the hill, God told Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. 
And uh, they're walking up there, and Abraham hands the wood to Isaac, and he hands the lighter. And they're walking up there, and Isaac's like, Dad, we have the, the wood and the fire, but where is the lamb? And what did Abraham tell him? God will provide himself the lamb, right? So ever since Genesis, this has always been God's plan to reconcile sinners to himself. When John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, right? When we sin, whose laws are we breaking? God's laws, right? So who gets to determine how to fix the problem with sin? God does, right? We can't just come up with our own stuff, right? We see how many people have done that. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, It's only by the perfect shed blood of Jesus that we can be reconciled to God, right? That's the only way we can fix our broken relationship with God. Because we're sinners, our relationship is broken. And the only way to fix that is through the shed blood of Jesus. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. And it's not by works, right? No matter how hard people work, it's not by tithing, it's not by church attendance, it's not by repeated religious rituals. And I watched some crazy ritual on TV about two months ago. There's a small town in... uh, Somewhere in Asia, I didn't, get, I didn't catch the first five minutes of it. But they take five or six guys from the community, outstanding guys, and they sit there and they draw straws, and the guy with the shortest straw becomes Mr. Lucky. They take him and they put him off in a temple somewhere, and he has to purify himself because he's going to become a god and take on the sins of his whole village. Anybody see this? It was awesome. And uh, so they purify him, and then what they're going to do in a couple of days is they're going to release him into town and that everybody who touches this guy gets their sins forgiven for their whole family and they get good luck for the year. So this guy's getting prepared and everybody's waiting for this guy to be released. And these guys start drinking at like 6 o'clock in the morning. And uh, they are completely intoxicated by this guy by the time this guy gets released. And he has to get from point A to point B as fast as he can because he knows the crowd is going to be rough. And the only protection he has is from the former Mr. Luckies from the years previous that, that haven't died doing this. So hours and hours, as soon as they release him, boom, everybody's on this guy. You would think they would all line up and he would just run through, give high fives to everybody, all the sins would be forgiven and all that, but they're brutal about this. This is like the worst mosh pit you've ever seen in your life. And this guy has this swarm around him and they're trying to push him through town, push him down through the streets. They interviewed one guy who's been trying to touch Mr. Lucky for 40 years and he can't even get close to him. This guy started training so that he can get in there and touch him so his sins would be forgiven, right? These guys take this serious and they all wear these awesome diapers things and like i said they're totally intoxicated so they're jumping off of cars to try to touch this guy it is horrible you know people are getting trampled and so by the time he gets takes him a couple hours to get towards the temple and then there at the temple there's even more people waiting because it's like their last chance they know that he has to come there so they weren't wasting their time in the city because they don't know where he's going to be released and so the other mr lucky's this guy's completely passed out so they put him up top and they start passing along the people to get him into a second um story window of the temple and they are slapping this guy and poking this guy. And the whole time he does this, he has to be completely naked. The whole time, from the time they let him go to the time he gets in the temple. So finally, the, the priests are pulling him into the temple. People are pulling his legs. And have this huge tug-of-war with this poor guy. And he's completely passed out. He's unconscious. And they finally get him in the temple. He gets a couple hours to rest. And then they bake this huge piece of bread. I don't know if they bake it, but they make this huge piece of bread. I guess all the sins get transferred into the bread. Anybody watch this? You know what I'm talking about now? All the sins get put in the bread or the toffee, taffy, whatever it was. And then he has to carry this up this huge hill and bury it. And it's symbolizing burying the sins of the whole town for the year. I mean, that's crazy, right? I was laughing and then I, they interviewed this guy the next day and I felt so sorry for him. All his toes were broke, fingers were broke, ribs were broke. He was bruised from his ankles all the way up to his head. His eyes were closed shut. Um, 
His ear was torn. He's covered in bandages and stitches. All of this. So, uh, you know, I want to be like Paul when I see, you know, people that are zealous like this. Um, Romans 10, 1 through 3. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel, and you can even add Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, and Islam, and everyone else, is that they may be saved. For it is better, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. Do Mormons have a zeal for God? They're zealous, right? And to your missions, temple work, baptisms for the dead, on and on and on and on. Are Jehovah's Witnesses, are they zealous for the Lord? 40 hours a week, right? Uh, Islam, are those guys zealous? Big time, right? They will strap a bomb to themselves and blow people up for God. I mean, that's, that's crazy. So they have a zeal for God, but it's not according to knowledge, right? They don't know that it's only through the shed blood of Jesus that they can be reconciled to God and they're coming up with their own ways, right? They're being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, having not submitted to the righteousness of God. Satan has all kinds of counterfeit ways for people to think that they're reconciled to God, right? I mean, anytime you study any of the religions of the world, and if Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Jesus, then all other ways are false, right? I mean, there's only one way. We broke God's law, that's His way. That's the way it has to be. So no matter how organized these other religions are, no matter how nice they are, no matter how much stuff they build or how sincere they are, they're wrong, right? They're seeking to establish their own righteousness and they're ignorant of God's righteousness, what God did to make people right with himself. And think about it. If there was another way for us to be reconciled to God, if it was possible that we could be good enough or if it was possible that we could stay in some kind of yoga position long enough or if we could say enough prayers or knock on enough doors, if we actually could do it ourselves, then Jesus wouldn't have had to die, right? God would have spared his own son. But did God spare his own son? No. Romans 8.32, he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, with him, graciously give us all things? Remember, if we're in Christ, we get everything, right? We get all his grace and his mercy. Um, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, he entrusted to us the message or the word of reconciliation. Remember in John chapter 6, towards the end, Jesus is talking about being the bread of life. And he's talking to people at the synagogue. People are fine. He just fed the 5,000. He's talking about being the bread of life. And, and people are kind of, this is a hard saying. Is he talking about cannibalism? I got to eat of him? I got to drink his blood? What's going on? So a lot of people are leaving. Jesus looks at the 12 and says, are you guys going to leave too? And what did Peter say? He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You guys can answer out louder. Okay. They all, I don't know. So they knew that Jesus knew the words of eternal life, right? We need to get to know the word of eternal life, right? John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the? And the word was with God, and the word was God, right? And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, right? We need to get to know Jesus. What's the natural byproduct of someone who spent time or spends time with Jesus? And we look through the Gospels, somebody comes in contact with Jesus, they believe in him, he heals them or whatever, and what do they do? They run out and... They tell everybody, right? The Messiah is here. The Messiah is here, right? This guy he healed me. This, he told me everything he knew about me. All about my husband, blah, blah, blah. Their natural byproduct was to just spill over with knowing Jesus, right? So they want to know him. We want to know him and make him known, right? It's so important that we understand the ministry of reconciliation. So important that we understand how to take somebody all the way through this so that they can be soundly saved, right? 
Um, verse 20, Paul is pleading with them to be reconciled to God. Paul knows exactly what happens to a person if they don't repent and put their trust in Jesus as their Savior, right? A lot of these false religions, they always have like this, this scapegoat of this uh, back door. Well, if you don't do good here, maybe in the afterlife you can do all this stuff. There is no chance in the afterlife. It has to be now, right? God has left us here to be his ambassadors, his representatives, his salt and light to this lost, um, dark and dying world, right? He has commanded us to go into the whole world and preach the gospel. How will they know if no one tells them, right? Faith comes by... So, since every Christian knows that we should take the, the ministry of reconciliation serious as Paul and the, and the other apostles, and we read our Bibles all the time, we study all the time, we memorize scripture all the time, we meditate on the Bible daily, what percentage of Christians are telling lost sinners that they can be reconciled to God? Or, nowadays we say, how many, you know, are witnessing. What percentage of Christians are witnessing to people? I know some of you guys have seen the way the master stuff, and you know exactly where I'm going with this, but... Uh, Give me some guesses. 2%. What else? 5. And second and third service is like 0.2. I'm like, whoa. Um, 2% is right. And to be part of this 2%, you have to witness to one person every 18 days. So if you go to OGN once a month and you witness to two people, you're good, right? 20 people a year. One person every 18 days is 20.2, but rounded down. 20 people a year. That doesn't seem... Too hard, but why is it that 98% of the church is not witnessing, telling sinners that they can be made right with God through Jesus? Right, I got five excuses right here. Ready? These are the top five or most common five. Excuse number one: I'm too busy with church activities. I don't have time to go witness to people. I'm too busy with church activities. Raise your hand if that's you. That's why you don't go witnessing. Okay, good, good. Um, Oswald. Jay Smith said, he was a Canadian pastor who was big time on missions for like 100 years, wrote 12,000 sermons. Oh, my friends, we are loaded down with countless church activities while the real work of the church, that of evangelism and winning the lost, is almost entirely neglected. Right? There's a lot of churches that are neglecting this work, right? I think here at Rancho Baptist Church, we try to do a good job. Anytime we have an outreach, anytime we do anything, we want to get the message, we want to get the gospel out, right? We want to preach the gospel in season and out of season as much as we possibly can so that sinners can know that they can be made right with God through Jesus, right? Um, number two, I don't care. This is an excuse. I even heard excuse number one in North Carolina. Ah, I'm doing enough for Jesus. I don't have to go and tell people. Well, what? So some people say that I don't care enough, right? And that's, that's horrible. Charles Spurgeon said, Have you no wish for others to be saved? then you are not saved yourself. Be sure of that. I mean, that makes sense, right? If you spend time with Jesus, and you know that Jesus has eternal life, that he offers eternal life to sinners, and you don't tell anybody about that, something's wrong with you, right? I mean, that's, that's fair. So, because the natural byproduct of spending time with Jesus is telling people, right? Everyone I hang out with is a Christian, so I never get a chance to go witness. Right? They go to a Christian school or they're homeschooled or you know, I work at a Christian organization. Everybody I know there is Christian. I hang out at church all the time. All this kind of stuff. Um, whenever we used to go out to OGN, I'd run into some kids and I'd start witnessing to them and they're like, oh, 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 I go to church. I go to so-and-so. I'm like, oh, really? I'd give them a high five and then I would leave because I'm like, oh, they go to church. I'm going to go talk to somebody who doesn't go to church. But more and more, when I test them and I actually go all the way through the good test, 
I find out they don't know anything. They had no clue why Jesus died on the cross. They have no clue that they're a sinner. They think they're a pretty good person, right? They have not been reconciled to God his way. So make sure, even though someone says they're a Christian, you can take them all the way through. Um, we're going to give a little crash course on the good test here in a second. So, And is it hard to find sinners? No, right? They're everywhere. I guarantee if you guys come to the mall today at 4 o'clock, we'll find some sinners. <laughs> who need to be told that they can be reconciled to God, right? So, number four. I want to share my faith, but I'm scared and I don't know what to say. What if somebody asks me a super hard question? How many of that's you guys right now? I'm like, yeah, I'd go witnessing, but I don't know what to say. I'm scared. How do you start the conversation, right? All those normal things, right? Um, well, uh, John Tomseth went out with me last month and he says, I just don't want to observe. So he, he had just observed and he spent a whole month putting together this whole thing of how to witness to somebody. He's got verses in his phone. He's got this five-page document. I mean, he's ready to go. He's, he even asked for prayer last night at the men's gathering uh, for boldness, right? If we don't know what to say, we need to learn what to say, right? 2 Timothy 2.15, Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We need to do our homework, right? There's no other more important message than this, so we better know what to say. Number five. My life does not match what I believe. Um, I'm a hypocrite. And I heard this one for the first time last week on the radio. David Jeremiah was going through these same things, so I listened up a little extra, and I'm like, oh, okay, let's see what his reasons are. And he brought this up as an excuse, and I was like, pfft. No one says that, right? But this is actually the number one answer why people don't go out and witness because they feel like a hypocrite. You know, I'm telling them the message of eternal life and that Jesus could give them life more abundantly and I'm not experiencing that. So they feel like a hypocrite. And if you're not allowing the Lord to work on you and you're not dying to yourself and you're not paying careful attention to what the Bible says, you need to get along with the Lord and humbly ask Him to search you and to show you those areas in your life that aren't pleasing to you, to Him and, and to really, you know, humble yourself and to repent Get discipled by somebody. There's so many things that we can do out there. And it's never too late. If you've blown it, it's not too late, right? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's never too late. Get on back, get back on track with the Lord and get out there. Um, I think excuse number four is like the main reason for most part. You know, people just don't want to say, sure, they would love to tell people about Jesus. How do you start the conversation? All that, right? Um, can you just walk up to somebody and say, hey, have you been reconciled to God through His Son, Jesus Christ? Right? Most people don't even know what reconciled means, do they? They're like, what? I don't have a broken relationship with God. They think everything's okay between them and God, right? They're like, yeah, I'm a good person. We get that all the time. People are unaware of their condition. Um, and people are so biblically illiterate nowadays and there's so much false teaching and, and garbage out there. And I never realized it until North Carolina. I think most people get their theology from country western songs. You know? <laughs> Like, I'm going to be an angel someday looking down through the floor of heaven. And I'm like, no, you're not. Where are you getting that from? And I heard on the radio, I was like, you're kidding me. So people are completely biblically illiterate. Uh, most churches that call themselves Christians don't even get this right. All right. We have to break it down. You can't just walk up to someone and say, hey, you need Jesus in your heart. Okay? What's wrong with that approach? We're just walking up and saying stuff like that. It doesn't deal with sin. You have to bring the knowledge of sin. That's what's happened to the church in the last hundred years. Sin is getting washed away. Jesus has been offered as a life enhancement. Jesus will make everything all better. And it's not, 
to escape the wrath to come is not to have God's judgment paid for on Jesus. So they don't have a correct knowledge of sin, right? Most people think they're good enough to get into heaven because their definition of good is completely wrong, right? Today, people's definition of good is what? Uh, I only robbed one bank, I only killed two people, and, you know, I call my mom on Mother's Day. So they think that they're a good person, right? That's not the standard of good. They haven't read Romans chapter 3, 10 through 12 right here where it says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is not even one who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have all together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. They're unaware of Romans 3.23 where it says, For all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory, His standards, right? They don't know that the wages of sin is death because they have never been brought the law. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ. We have to use the law in order to bring them to Christ. My favorite technique, if you guys know me, is definitely the good test. Technique, method, system, whatever you want to call it, way of witnessing, is the good test. Because I think it's the best way to take somebody from self-righteous, they think everything's okay with it between them and God, to completely stressed out, oh no, what do I have to do now? So, I mean, if I walked up to somebody and I said, hey, take these pills and you'll live. Somebody in the right mind, right? Would they take those pills? No, they're like, I'm a total stranger. I walked up to them and said, take these pills and you'll live? What? Right? You have to say people in the right mind because there's lots of people out there that would be like, yes, thank you for the pills. What are these? I'm going to take them anyway, right? But if they're in the right mind, they think they feel okay, nothing's wrong with them, I'm not going to take your pills, right? But if I first come up to them and say, hey, I'm a doctor and I notice you have like a skin thing going on in your arm right there and I notice that uh, this skin de- the disease leads to death and uh, I start asking them questions like, uh, um, you know, are you having trouble sleeping at night? And they're like, yeah. How's your diet? How's this? How's that? And I spend five or ten minutes convincing them that they're sick. I show them all the signs that they're sick. They agree with me that they're sick. And now they're really worried that they are sick and they are going to die. Right? And I hand them the pills then. And I say, hey, if you take these pills, you'll live. Will they take them then? Yes, I have a huge chance of them taking them the second time, right? And not the first time. So the same thing going witnessing. I can't walk up to somebody and say, hey, if you don't have Jesus, you're going to burn in hell forever. That's not, that's not, uh, effective, right? So, when we go to OGN, we use these little, uh, gospel tracks, because you can't walk up to people and talk like that. And opening the conversation is probably the hardest thing, right? How do you approach somebody, just a total stranger at the mall? Hey, can I talk to you about Jesus? No? I'm on, I'm in a hurry, right? So we use these little gospel tracks. A lot of you guys have seen these. I'm going to test everybody right now. If you've seen these, don't ruin it for everybody else. Because you were tricked before too. And now you think you're smart because you've done it. But Okay. I want you guys, this is one of my favorite cards. Count the Fs. Okay, I'll walk up to somebody, a group of two or three kids. And I'll say, hey guys, let's see if you guys can get this right. It's a little IQ test. Count the Fs. And I'll give them, you know, 10, 15 seconds. Go ahead and count the Fs in the yellow box. Okay, raise your hand if you've only counted one F. All you can see up there is one F. Okay, raise your hand if you can count, if you counted, you found two Fs. Raise your hand if you found three Fs. Okay, raise your hand if you found four Fs. Raise your hand if you found five Fs. Raise your hand if you found six Fs. Yeah, you guys have seen it before, a lot of you guys. Not all of you guys, some people get this, but most people don't. Raise your hand if you see seven Fs. Okay, there's six. There's two on the top line, right? 
finished files. There's two on the second line, of and of. There's one on the third line, scientific, the end right there, and then there's one on the fourth on the fourth line, of. Your brain is so fast, you skip right over the ofs, right? But some of you don't. Some of you got it. Sometimes people get this. So you guys are smiling right now, right? We're friends. Everything is cool. No one's offended when you do this approach to them, right? You made me feel stupid. I've never gotten that. And then I'll show them the next card. Usually I use them both together to get them really laughing. Okay, read yourself in your head the words in the triangle, one triangle at a time. Usually I have them do this out loud, but there's too many of you guys. So... Usually I ask them to do that and they say, Paris in the spring, bird in the hand, once in a lifetime. How many of you guys got that? Easy, right? And I'll say, no, you missed one word in every triangle. And they're like, what? And they'll say, Paris in the spring, bird in the hand, once in a lifetime. I'll say, slow down. Paris in the, the spring, bird in the, the hand, once in a, a lifetime. Right? So now they're like, ah, you got me again. Right? And so... I say, okay, now here's the real test. And I flip the card over. Both these cards, the gray one and the green one, have these same six questions. And these six questions are important because they are a great way to get you into the good test. Question number one, I ask them, answer these questions out loud, yes or no. Question number one, is there a God, yes or no? Yes. Does God care about right and wrong? Yes. Are God's standards the same as ours? No, right? God's standards is perfection, right? Sometimes you have to help people with this because they're biblically illiterate and they don't understand what standards are. And You say, are God's standards higher than ours or lower than ours? And they'll agree that they're higher. Will God punish sin? Sometimes you have to help them with this. Sometimes they want to wiggle right here. Uh, I don't think so. Well, come on. If all those people that got away with murder last year that aren't in jail, will God punish them? Yes. It makes sense that there will be judgment. Okay? Is there a hell? Yes. Sometimes they'll say yes to punishment and they'll say no to hell. I'm like, well, where does he send them? Where's the place of punishment? Right? Hell. So do you avoid hell by living a good life? No. But what will most people say? Yes, right? Yeah, yeah. And then bam, you're in the good test, okay? You can ask some questions like this. What do you think it takes to get to heaven? Or do you think you are good enough to get into heaven? My favorite, would you consider yourself to be a good person? However you get to that question right there, would you consider yourself to be a good person? There's lots of these tracks. There's lots of different things you can do. It doesn't matter as long as you get them to that question right there. Would you consider yourself to be a good person? And what do most people say? Yes, I would say 99% of the time people say yes. The Bible says they're quick to proclaim their goodness. And there's been a couple times where people's like, no, I'm not a good person. You know, so I'm like, oh, great, he's really ripe. So most of the time, <laughs> most of the time, they'll say, yeah, I'm a good person. Yeah, because what are they doing? They're comparing themselves to their friends, right? They're comparing themselves to the neighbor down the street or their drunk uncle that shows up on Thanksgiving and all this stuff, right? There's lots of people worse than us, right? But when we take a look at the Ten Commandments, God's test of goodness, of real moral goodness, that's... That's what gets them, right? This brings the knowledge of sin. And the main idea with the good test is you don't want to talk to their intellect. You want to talk to their conscience. It's because it's their conscience that's going to convict them, right? So I started going through some of the commandments. Have you ever told a lie? Yes, right? What does that make you? A liar, right? Sometimes they say a sinner, a bad person. Well, if I told you a bunch of lies, what would you call me? A liar, right? So you've got to help them out sometimes. Um, have you ever stolen something, even something small? Yes, the value doesn't matter. Um, what does that make you? A thief, right? Then I'll ask them, have you ever used God's name in vain? And they'll say yes. And I'll say, well, that's blasphemy when we use God's name as a cuss word. And then I'll take it a step farther and I'll say, Jesus said, if you even look at a woman and lust after her, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Have you ever looked at lust? And they'll say yes. 
Sometimes you've got to help them through this, explain it, break it down a little more. And I'll ask them, my last question usually is, have you ever disobeyed your parents? Yes, right? And I'll say, well, by your own admission, what you're telling me is that you are a lying, thieving, disobedient, blasphemer, and adulterated heart. Right? And now they usually stop laughing. Right? The, the joke is over. It's no longer. Now they have conviction of sin. Right? Especially when I ask them this. The next question is, so if um, you were to die today, or however I want to phrase it, um, if God were to judge you by the Ten Commandments, do you think you'd be innocent or guilty? And sometimes they'll say innocent. I'm like, well, if you took a test at school and there was ten questions and you got five wrong, what would your grade be? An F. And you have to help some kids out with this one because it'd be like a C. <laughs> a C minus. No. It's an F. That's why I use, that's why I started using five of the commandments. Sometimes people just use three or four. I like using five because I like going right into the school test question, which works out great. Um, so they'd be 50% you would fail. So would you be innocent or guilty if God were to judge you by the Ten Commandments? Guilty. Right? Would you go to heaven or hell if you're guilty? Hell. And right now, if they're being honest and the law has done its work, and they're just answering your questions and you can see the joke is over. You can look in their eyes and see the conviction. They know that they're in trouble. They know that they no longer have a good standing with God. That you've taken them from self-righteous. Everything's cool when they walked into the mall. And now they're sweating where they're going to spend eternity. Right? I mean, it's a great way to do this. I love this. And if I see that they're concerned, right? I'll ask them, does that concern you? That if you were to die today, if a car came up here and smashed us up against this building right now, and we all died... And God were to judge you by the Ten Commandments, you'd be guilty and you'd be in hell. Does that concern you? And they say, yes. And if I see that they're broken, they're ready for the gospel, right? And I'll say, do you know what God did for you so that you don't have to spend eternity in hell? And I tell them the whole story of Jesus on the cross and taking the punishment for their sins and uh, all that. And when they grab that, then they're ready for the, the cure, right? If I offer the cure first, they usually don't take it. But if I convince them that they're completely lost without God and in big trouble on Judgment Day... They snatch at Jesus really quick, see? And this is a great way to take people through um, the commandments, to bring the law. Paul says, I wouldn't know what sin was if it wasn't for the law. We have to bring the law. This is a super easy way. Do you guys think you can do this? Easy, right? The questions are on the back. Easy. You can approach people easy. There's tons of stuff. If you want to go to wayofthemaster.com and Way of the Master University on YouTube, they have witnessing clips. These guys have been doing this for like 30 years. And they are great at it. And I love their stuff. I love their tracks. It's right to the point. They want to make sure. Right here, Second Corinthians 5.21, our last verse. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. We have got to get the news out that Jesus can take their sin and make them right with God. And that's the only way, right? They're not going to know. They're not going to get this anywhere else. We have to go out and tell them. Sometimes churches do give awesome gospel presentations and bring the knowledge of sin and all that. But a lot of them aren't. And a lot of people out there are deceived. Even people that go to church. So make sure you take them all the way through the law. And uh, it's good stuff. Most of the time, it works just like this. Just like the way I took you guys through it. It goes like that, I would say, 80% of the time. Every once in a while, you get somebody that wants to be, you know, a smart aleck or this or that. Just work with them. Learn to ask good questions. And it's going to make you dig deeper into what you believe. So you can answer the scoffers. And all that. So that's another great source they have there on the way the master. They have he's heard every question there is. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for reconciling us to yourself through your Son Jesus, Lord, through the shed perfect blood of Jesus, that we can be made right in your eyes, Lord, in eternity and uh, have eternal life. We thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit that uh, guides us and directs us and helps us and 
And uh, we do pray, Lord, that we would be right with you, that we would uh, spend lots of time with you, Lord, and that we would want to know you more and make you known. So give us boldness, Lord, to our co-workers, to our family members, to those we come in contact, Lord. Help us to go out and find sinners just like you did, Lord. You came out to seek and save the lost. Help us to have that same heart that you have, Lord, for these people. And help us to always remember where they end up without you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we are so glad that you chose to listen to us today. Our mission here at Rancho Baptist Church is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and who live to reach their world for Christ. If you have any questions at all regarding this particular broadcast or this sermon, or if you just want to know God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to contact us. You can call us here at the church at area code 951-676-2911. That phone number again is 951-676-2911. Or you can contact us on our website at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. That's ranchobaptistchurch.org. Trust that you have a great day in the Lord and God bless you as you walk with Him.